Welcome to a football show on the 440 Sports Network. His name is Zach Lyons. My name is Braden Gall, brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group, two great locally owned uh, two lo- locally owned companies here, of course, in Nashville. Got some special stuff for you guys from Sinkers today, so stay tuned. We'll tell you about that in just a second. Uh, lots of stuff to do today on the show. We like to do things a little differently, Zach, than everybody else in the market. We pride ourselves on that. Uh, and, of course, if you want to jump into the comments, we'd love to have you. Now's a good week for it, especially if you've got Titans questions. Um, but we're going to we're gonna sort of focus on a big-picture topic that I've kind of been tracking, like in my subconscious almost, watching football on Saturdays and Sundays all season. We had a very specific narrative about quarterback play, especially in the AFC, heading into the NFL season all summer long. And we had a very specific narrative about college football quarterbacks, in particular in the SEC, and it feels like neither of those things has come true. So we'll kind of evaluate the state of quarterback play in both college, the SEC, and NFL, and which one is actually doing it better right now. So we'll get into that. We've got some midterm, midseason reviews in the SEC, Coach of the Year, as well as what do we think we've learned, what opinions have changed in the conference. And it's Alabama-Tennessee week in the third, Saturday in October. So Zach is wearing, if you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as you should be, his Alabama Crimson Tide roll tide on a Tennessee Saturday night uh, will be taking place this week. This weekend, so we'll talk Bama and Tennessee. W- who can win the rock fight from 1998? Uh, that's going to take place on Saturday in, in Tuscaloosa. It's not going to look anything like 2023 football. Uh, that is for sure. Uh, football and other efforts, of course. Great episode you and Herndon this week. So check that out and stack in the inbox. Of course, what do you have for the good folks this week at Stack in the Inbox during the bye week? We just got all kinds of the bye week blues are upon us, and uh, we're doing by the numbers, B Y E, talking about it. all kinds of different things, uh, saying goodbye to Ryan Tannehill, saying goodbye <laughs> to Malik Willis, uh, talking about the misusage, the missed, uh, you the misusage of Derek Henry and Tajay Spears, and not what everybody's posting right now. I just saw uh, Sam yeah. Phelan posted. 2023, Ryan Tannehill with Derrick Henry on the field and Derrick Henry off the field. Well, that, it'll break it down by first and second downs, break it down by different things because he's just ripping off someone else that's already been, that's already posted that, which by the way is wow, kind of bad take form. Wow, taking shots right out of the gate. I mean, I just, I, but the, the thing is, nice is that, guy. he's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying he's a nice, not a nice guy. I'm just saying that, you know, be original. Um, but the, the other thing is, is that when you're looking at this, is that we talked about this on Football Night Air for Wednesday, it's missing so much context. It's ridiculous how much context this is uh, missing out on. But I talk about, it's not about snap counts. It's about when they're on the field with those snap counts, how they're getting the ball, and why they're not getting enough of it. 31 opportunities for, just a preview, 31 yeah. opportunities for Ty J Spears. Right, he played in th- 31 of the offensive snaps on in London. Right, five touches. Yeah, incredible misuse. That's criminal. It is criminal. It's criminal. Uh, Elliot is here. This is the kind of stuff. First of all, Stoney's here, and he says uh, shamelessly self promoting his own work <laughs> in our comments. Uh, he's working on the young guys the Titans can build around. Uh, Good friend of the pod, Elliot, there says, I'm here to talk about Florida quarterback Graham Mertz being a top 10 quarterback in the country and has looked phenomenal. He has been incredibly efficient, and we will discuss some of the things that we have changed our opinion about in the course of the mid, at the sort of the midway point of the SEC season, which comes at a perfect time because it's the Titans bye week. And I, I think we all need a breather from debating and discussing the, the exact same shit about the Tennessee Titans over and over again. So I wanna, we'll get into a lot of things today. 
hopefully having a lot of fun. Uh, and again, please give us a subscription over on the 440 Sports YouTube page. Rate, review, and subscribe to the pods. We really, really appreciate it. When you scroll to the bottom there and you give us five stars, that helps people find us, and we do appreciate the support. So Kingston Group, of course, buildkg.com is the website. Give them a call if you have any questions about a house purchase or renovation or custom build or just want some questions about plans. Hey, can we do this? Can we do that? They will help you, man. I promise. Uh, they will take they'll take care of you. Um, but Sinker's Beverages. So you and I and uh, a couple of our lucky listeners, shout out to uh, Joe and Tim, who went with us on a barrel pick extravaganza. Uh, when was this? In June, I think we went in June. And we went up to uh, Wild Turkey and got to go pick help select and kind of see the process of what it's like for a liquor store of sinkers stature, you know, number one liquor store in the city last year, how they go pick these, these, these barrel, these hand selected, hand tasted barrel picks. And it was a super cool experience. One of the more memorable, memorable days that I, that I can remember that I can, that I'll have as a broadcaster and the barrel picks are in the Russell's reserve is in there. Oh, look at that. See, there you go. Look at that. There it is. You can only get it at Sinker's Beverages in East Nashville. They have a very limited supply. And what you do is you go in and you say, hey, look, a football show, 440 Sports. I, I, I would like the Russell's Reserve. You cannot get it unless you go in and ask and use the 440 Sports like super secret double probation code. So you go in there and you say, it's not a cheap bottle, but it's a it's a it's a very, very good bottle. Uh, Zach has tasted it. I've tasted it. It's delicious. Um, so go in there, pop in, say, hey. I'd like a Russell's Reserve barrel pick. 440 Sports told me to come in here. I'm going to join the in crowd, and they'll give it to you. They'll sell. They're not going to give it to you for free because it's not free, but it's worth the money. And you just put it on the top shelf and you save it for, for a good time. So there you go. Can't wait. Good job, Zach. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Excuse me. My voice is still uh, totally screwed up from the weekend. So, uh, all right. Let's get into this. This is. I'm going to start broadly, and then we'll kind of narrow it down into why we think why I think this is happening and if you agree or disagree. I the narratives in the summertime, the conversations, the general assumption around the NFL was, "Oh my god, look at how deep and how historic the quarterback play is in the AFC in particular and that we have all these young stars that are developing into these potentially dominant players in the NFL level." In college football, we had just lost all these stars. Bryce Young left. Uh, Anthony Richardson left, uh, Hendon Hooker left, especially in the SEC. CJ Stroud left. Like all these great players were gone. Yeah, we had a couple of good players out in the Pac 12, but by and large, quarterback play, huge question in college football and in the SEC. As it turns out, I, at this point of the year, which is still early for, for the NFL in particular, it feels like the opposite has taken place. That quarterback play in the, in the conference and in college football is far better than I expected. Relative to their level of competition, of course, like I'm not suggesting that, you know, some middle of the pack quarterback right. is, is going to go throw the ball against an NFL defense. But relative to to their level of expectation and competition, I think the quarterback play and the offensive prowess of the guys in college and even in the SEC have vastly over exceeded my expectations. And I find myself on Sundays watching quarterbacks going, what are we doing? And and I, I remember last year and some of this was injuries. But I remember last year there was like a like it was like Taylor Heineke and Skylar Thompson and Andy Dalton and like all there was a number like there was one weekend where I could not believe who was starting in the NFL. And again, some of that was injuries. And it, and it gets worse this weekend. I mean, there's yeah. more injuries piling up. I mean, is Trevor Lawrence even going to make it through the game? They're actually starting him like 
It's rough. It's a rough. It's a rough game out there right now. So let, let, before we get into the details, like, does that? Am I crazy for thinking that, feeling that, seeing that? We can get into the data and some of the numbers, but like, do you agree with where I'm coming from? Like, I feel like it's inverted itself in just seven weeks. Yeah, it absolutely has, and and the reason for the NFL play and for scoring to be so low. I mean, we just saw one of the worst fantasy football weekends of our of of the last four or five years. And I mean, this is how bad it was. And this is league wide. The Titans still somehow had the twelfth best offense. That makes no sense. <laughs> on on a Sunday, Sunday's performance for Week Six, they somehow had the twelfth best offense in terms of expected points added, in terms of success rate. They're top fifteen offense. Makes the, the, the game zero. in London. The game in London. The game in London. Just yeah. the game in London makes zero sense. But that tells you how bad it was just in Week Six in particular. But it is blame Patrick Mahomes, okay? That's who you need to blame because he has changed the way that defenses have approached have approached the game. And you kind of alluded to this earlier in the year where you talked about how you feel that there's a trend coming where defenses are coming back and they are they are taking over the game. It's very cyclical. Offenses reign supreme. The defenses reign supreme. Mm-hmm. And right now. You were right, and and there's a lot of data to back it up, but it's just it's just new, you know, too high safety looks that is, and then everybody has just got at least a pretty good amount of pass rushers at hand, and it's just it's the perfect storm on defense to go up against these NFL quarterbacks. That's why the AFC is like is so disappointing from a quarterback perspective because it's really good from a defensive perspective and the defenses over in the NFC have weaker quarterbacks to go against, but it's just the way that they are employing the defensive strategies now to make sure that they try their best not to get beat and are defending against quarterbacks entirely different than they even did in the majority just a year ago. I mean, this is an entirely different yeah. state of defensive play versus quarterback play in the NFL that we're not used to. And you're, you're totally right about the college football experience. I mean, I'm looking at these numbers, Jaden Daniels, Carson Beck, Brady cook, Graham Mertz, and Spencer Rattler, your top five <laughs> offensive uh, passing yard leaders. And that's not the top five I necessarily would have had in the order or the top five exactly right. I mean, I wouldn't have expected Graham Mertz and, and Brady Cook or maybe even Carson Beck in there. Yep. Those are the three maybes, but it goes to show you that quarterback plays at an all-time high, but maybe defenses in the SEC aren't as strong of what they were, and that's bad news when you get in the college football playoffs, unless you're Alabama. Or, or you're playing against Michigan and they're just stealing your signs, apparently. Yeah, uh, yeah, there you news. go. Uh, two good comments here already. Ed says, and I want to, this is one of the first points I want to make. Uh, Ed says, NFL O-lines are abysmal, and with the CBA, they don't have the practice time that they used to have in the past to develop their players and their picks. I think this mm-hmm. is absolutely spot on. The problem is with that theory, because I, I completely agree. I think offensive line development is a problem right now. The, the issue, though, is I think it's a problem on every level. Some of that is because seven-on-seven football, you have quarterbacks and receivers and running backs who are playing together and running reps together all year round at every level, high school, college, and and, and not the pros, but you, you get what I'm saying, like middle school, high school, college. Through the developmental years, they're, they're running hours and hours a week in the offseason of these reps. So they're a little bit more muscle memory developed, polished. You can't, you can't simulate blocking a defensive lineman. In the offseason, you just can't do it, no matter what the level is, middle school, high school, or college, which means that 
the margin for error at the NFL level, this is where I do think it's different. A great quarterback can make up for a bad offensive line in college. A great scheme can make up for a bad offensive line in college a whole lot easier than in the NFL. You can hide that shit in college. You cannot hide it in the NFL. They will kill you for it and shine a bright light on it. So I do think offensive line development is a problem across the board in college, in, in all of football, but you can hide it easier on the college level. And I think that's what you're seeing mm-hmm. with, you know, with some of these quarterbacks in the conference and around, around the country. In the NFL, you have to be, you have to have an elite trait of some sort, whether that is with your feet or with your quick decision-making, AKA your arm strength and your, your, your brain power, your brain processing here to be able to make up for the deficiencies of your offensive line in college football that you're right. That threshold to make up the deficiencies is way, way lower. It's a really high threshold threshold in Tennessee or in the NFL. And yep. you see it on display in universe or uh, Tennessee Titans football with the fact that right now, uh, in fact, you could argue probably both parts of Tennessee football. I mean, Joe Milton, a hundred is a, their 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 offensive line has taken a step back, but Joe Milton hasn't been able to overcome that. And when he does, you got receivers dropping the ball anyway. And Ryan Tannehill, Malik Willis, they they definitely one hundred percent cannot make up for the deficiencies in any way, shape, or form without schemed yeah. up help. And it's and the scheme is fine. It's the personnel. And they can't overcome it. If you put maybe Lamar Jackson here instead of Ryan Tannehill in this current state of the offense that we're seeing, entirely different situation in my opinion. But right now, Tannehill and Malik Willis can't get it done. And it's like that everywhere. I mean, Bryce Young is struggling. I think they picked the wrong quarterback. If you look at Frank Reich's career, he does better with C.J. Stroud, Will Levis-esque size and stature type quarterbacks their offensive line is abysmal and they go and get Bryce Young now Thomas Brown who's now taking over play calling maybe he can scheme up some stuff from Bryce Young because we've seen glimpses of Bryce Young being what we thought he was being I mean look at Adam Thielen right now is just eating is having a heyday (laughs) at age like 33 I think is what he is or something but these situations that these young quarterbacks come into aren't typically ideal situations. They take a year or two to actually get their feet and get what you need in place because yeah. there's a reason they're drafting so high, right? Like the, yeah. the team sucks if you're drafting so high. And so these quarterbacks are are struggling. I mean, you, even you can't really like Trey Lance. He shouldn't have struggled. But he has a totally different uh, issue. It's not the offensive line, right? You see Brock Purdy come into a a fantastic situation, and he is lighting it up. And so it's all about the situation for these young QBs. And right now, you see more and more every year come into bad situations. But but and and so I want to comment on Daniel's as well. Daniel says, for what it's worth, I've really been enjoying the defensive slot ball we've, we've been getting. I agree. And if you like that style. Ohio State, Penn State this weekend is going to be disgusting and ugly and gross. It's going to feel like Andy Katzemoyer versus Larry Johnson. And if you like that kind of ball, Alabama, Tennessee is going to be like that as well this weekend. And I would I would disagree with you on one point about the Tennessee Vols. I think their offensive line is actually almost as good. I think it's the Alabama side of the game this weekend where you see the offensive line has problems. Jalen Milrow has been sacked. Oh, I think. yeah. He's, he's this this J.C. Latham hype train that's going yeah. on, is is a, I'm a little out on that. But to your point, Jalen Milrow has, number one, the explosiveness to extend plays, and number two is hitting on big X plays down the field 
that allows Alabama to do just enough with a great defense in a slop fest rock fight, which is what Tennessee Alabama is going to be this weekend. He makes the big play. The difference for Tennessee is they can run the ball really well. Three good running backs, pretty good offensive line. It's all the quarterback who cannot read the defense, make the play, make the throw. I don't think Tennessee wins the game, but we'll get to that in a second. But look at the look around the NFL, and I noticed this uh, during the Notre Dame USC game because there was a lot of scouts there for both Caleb Williams and Sam Hartman, uh, and Caleb Williams played probably the worst football game of his college career, and a lot of it was on him. Notre Dame played sort of a slow, like pressured game where they were going to force you to pick apart a defense with your arm, and he forced a lot of plays. He got sacked a lot, and he threw three interceptions. And there were scouts there from like Minnesota. Like what's interesting is like the Titans have a veteran quarterback they're moving on from. The Vikings have a veteran quarterback they're going to move on from probably. It sounds like they, they I don't may know. Not bring- I mean, he's he's not waving his no trade clause or something like that's the latest thing is that he expects to be here next year. Kirk Cousins Maybe. expects to be in Minnesota next year. But the point is, is they don't feel like that's the guy that they want. Either way, whether they're stuck with him or not, Minnesota is efforting to move away from Kirk Cousins. That's a guy who's statistically one of the more productive guys in the league the last few years, but doesn't feel like it's that level, right? He's not the Mahomes, Burrow, whatever level. Um, So there's a lot more team. I mean, Chicago Bears are a punchline now of whether or not Justin Fields is good enough or not. There are major questions about Jordan Love, I think, that are fair to ask. It's too early to to really go down that road. But there's a lot of teams that feel like they have – I mean, you and I have talked about the Browns' mistake with Deshaun Watson. Like – he played good against the Titans, but like he hasn't lived up to the contract at, in any way, shape, or form. But he was way better earlier. So again, why? Why is it all happening? And I think offensive line is a key. I think defensive strategy has changed, and people are attacking the league differently. And my question then to you is, what does that tell you about where the Titans should go moving forward? Oh, they they have. I mean, there's a couple of different ways that you can take this question because we talked about it on uh football and other f-words they need an elite pass rusher right so like you talk about where they should go they need to go through defense as well as offense they need elite pass rusher and they need some a a step above sean murphy bunting which sean murphy bunting has played an above average uh year this year at, at a rate but they need the elite guy they need the sauce gardener they need um the Trent McDuffie. They need a young guy that is the elite guy. They need, they needed like the version of Caleb Farley we were promised we were going to get. They need that guy, and they need that and the elite pass rusher. and And I think you're fine. You got you got someone at every level that can help you. On the offense side of the ball, I think their idea of building the offensive line was a fantastic through pass blocking is a great strategy. Unfortunately, free agency dictated that that strategy was not going to work because you had a limited pool of you had your own limited resources as far as salary cap, cash on hand, all that kind of stuff. And an even worse set of limited resources on the offensive line. So you got time to figure what who is going to work for 11 games on the offensive line. NPF, you know what he was last year at right tackle. If he shows improvement at a left tackle, wherever you may put him, you you got Raidens, you got guys on the on the field that you have eleven games to see what you got. Okay, so then you got to build that offensive line, and then on top of that, you're likely losing DeAndre Hopkins next year. Even though I think they should keep him, they have the right to keep him. 
I don't know if he'll be uh, amenable to that. <laughs> you know, he, he may not be traded. Yeah, he may not appreciate that. But I think that you got to keep DeAndre Hopkins. And then you're still going to look for at least two more wide receivers because you don't have the wide receivers on this roster right now. Traylon Burks can't be counted on. Kyle Phillips is, is looking like a slow recovery. And maybe these guys rebound and you need them to rebound. You need them to and Chig. You need J-Rob's uh, sophomore slump boys to get out of their slump, coming out of the bye and be something. Because it, if you're going to have the delusion of being a playoff contending football team, which it sounds like they're still grasping to, which is still a possible outcome. Sure, sure. The, those three guys have to step up. They they absolutely have to. You're not winning the division, even though you're favored in seven games down the stretch. You're not winning all seven of those games. If those three guys, you at least need two of those three guys to step up. But in the future, if those guys don't, you're in a bigger hole than you were coming into this year at the pass catching position. And you have to have that because right now there is no reason not to start Will Levis. I don't even care if playoff aspirations are your hope. Behind that offensive line, he can maybe make plays that Ryan Tannehill can't with his feet. You can devise and scheme up different plays that you can't with Ryan Tannehill to get him out of the pocket. Right now, Will Levis gives you probably just as good as a uh, likelihood of winning games, especially these, these games coming down the stretch, as a, a Ryan Tannehill with a bum ankle. Yeah. Uh, so that's all. It's it's an elite pass that's rusher, a top it. flight corner, of, the entire offensive a line, a pass catcher. So that's all. That's all they got to do. Um, that's it. What's it? Daniel says something. He's wondering, uh, relating to the quarterbacks, would Will Levis have been the first quarterback off the board in 2022 ahead of Pickett, Ritter, and Willis? And the answer is unequivocally yes. Uh, it's not even close. Um, I think but you could have made an argument for, I guess, Pickett, but there's no way that no. Ritter and that he's not better than Ritter and Willis and goes higher. No, well, I mean, I don't think it's even a debate. Here, here's what's interesting, though, and this is sort of kind of where I wanted to take this because if you're playing this, I don't think that this cycle of defense in the NFL is 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 going to be long. That the offense has always come back with something better, right? You're looking at these like Miami and Seattle in particular. Watch what they're doing in the backfield. That it, we're talking the most, like two tight ends on the left and a running back on the right in Seattle, where they're doing crazy shit in the backfield so the offenses are already starting to figure out okay if y'all are going to play too high safety look the entire game and you're going to force to take you're going to take away the joe burrow patrick mahomes deep shots that and even it's hard to do that against miami because of all the speed but if you're going to take all that away what's what are we going to do well we're going to go even we're going to go further down the kyle shanahan rabbit hole and we're going to be in this like three fullbacks two running backs one tight end and it's it, and we're gonna do we're gonna do three layer flood the zone on the right side, all coming out of the backfield. And so you're starting to like it won't last long this defensive thing. But I do think it's a long wind up here to get to. If we are going to have a let's call it a four to six year window of defenses leading the way a little bit more than they have in the past, hypothetically, I don't think it's like a ten year cycle. I think the defensive cycle is shorter. But if that happens. Well, all these does, cycles seem a little short. And maybe you're right about that. The question is, is will Le does that actually benefit a Mike Vrabel coached, Will Levis quarterbacked Tennessee Titans team that that always kind of likes playing that style of ball anyway? I don't think long-term it works, 10 years. But maybe in a three-year window, and, and if you can find, I think you're right, I have not thought much, 
about the pass rusher thing because the defensive line is not a focus. But you look at these teams and you look at Miles Garrett and you look at Bosa's and you look at these, you know, DeForest Buckner and you just go, they could use one more just dog on the outside, like a true game wrecker. And if they do have that and we're going to play dirty ball for a couple of years, doesn't that actually benefit a guy like Will Levis who wants to play kind of dirty ball? Uh, maybe it does. Maybe I'm crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, we don't really know what NFL Will Levis is, right? Like we've seen no. some quarterbacks that come in that can do things differently because they have the arm strength, they have the the mental capabilities, they have the athleticism. I'm not saying that he's any of these things, but we don't know what he is, and it's time to find out what he is. Let's yeah. let's fucking have some fun. Like these <laughs> last eleven games, can we have some fun on the field? Like there is. I need a, a product to watch that I'm just kind of curious, like, okay, let's say Will Levis goes out against Atlanta and he's either relatively unspectacular or he even throws an interception or two and that costs the game. I'm still excited for the next week to see what he does because you don't know what Will Levis is yet. I mean, you still have a lot of time to figure out what Will Levis is. So, like, at this point, I do think it benefits Will Levis that maybe this style of play, but it also does not benefit Will Levis in this sense that they'll likely create more turnovers off Will Levis, right? Yeah, like maybe, maybe, I mean, he's got a good, he's got a, uh, the, the skill to just turn the ball over or fumble. And maybe this is not a good time for Will Levis. Maybe yeah, a, a time where defenses aren't that good. Like this is great for the team, but not good for Will Levis potentially. No, I see. I totally see both sides of it. Interesting point from Ed, actually. And I had not thought about this. Wouldn't Amy Adams want a more attractive product for the new stadium? Now, I will say 2027 is a long time from now. Um, and and the and the last sort of point on this quarterback situational conversation is Drake May is the guy. All right. I want everyone to hear it. Drake May is the guy. You want Drake May first out of North Carolina. If you are picking a quarterback, if the Titans are that bad and they learn that Levis is terrible and he's doing all the things you're talking about and the turnovers and some of it's not his fault, but like it is what it is. And they are a three win team this year or even a five win team. And they have a chance to, to move up and get somebody. It is not Michael Penix. It's not Bo Nix. It's not Caleb Williams. It is Drake May. That is the dude in this class coming up. It doesn't mean there's not a lot of really good options, because if you watch that Oregon Washington game over the weekend, which I hope everybody did, that was as fun and as well played a football game as you'll ever see in college football. It's the best game of the year I've seen. I, it's It was awesome. I don't think, like, these guys in the SEC have been way better than advertised. Graham Mertz at Florida has been great. Brady Cook has taken a huge step forward. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of guys that are better than we expected. Jaden Daniels has been near perfect for LSU. Jackson Dart's been very, very good for Ole Miss. I don't see NFL in any of those guys. I, I just don't. So while it's way better in college and more enjoyable to watch in college. I don't think any of those guys are, are NFL caliber. I think the guy you need to watch is at North Carolina. That's, that is the guy that I think is better than everybody else. It, easily. Now I'm a, I'm a big, uh, I got, uh, got big Phoenix energy for, for Michael Phoenix. I don't care if he's got a, uh, attitude problem at this point that the Tennessee Titans, I think I said it on Monday, but the Tennessee Titans are, probably in desperate need to shift away from the nice guy quarterback situations maybe, maybe you're right. they have developed. Um, but for, for everything I've heard, maybe other people, other quarterbacks or maybe quarterback teachers at these camps don't like them. 
but it seems like his players love him. And sometimes that's really all that matters in the big scheme of things. You know, yep. Caleb Williams, I'm not scared of this head case that is becoming of Caleb Williams. He's wanting, you know, uh, money. He was wanting stock options and stuff part like o- that. You know, all this stuff ownership. that's coming out. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay. He just doesn't, he just doesn't want to play for the bears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big, big whoop that a kid wants that stuff like that. To me, that stuff is, is, is probably the future of how these quarterback uh, college kids are going to be weighing their options now with NIL and what they want to do. They're, they're be, they're becoming more business savvy. Like that's just something Sh- that shocking. probably people shocking, but, but that's probably what people are going to have to wrap their head around the, there is a new generation of NFL business on the horizon and you just need to brace yourself. So like, I'm not scared of Caleb Williams. I, I don't get this Bo Nix love that Stoney Keeley has, but you know, so here's, here's what I, I wanted know. to get the, the follow up <laughs> to what you're saying. And what I'm saying is I'm putting Drake may on a tier above everybody else. Yes. It, it doesn't mean that if the Titans are picking like ninth or 10th or 12th or 13th, like kind of in the same range as last year, because they kind of are a, they, they, you know, they make a push and they're two games out of winning the division. Like, cause they're just, they're just not bad enough to be terrible. Right. I, I think there are plenty of options in the middle of the first round that I'm interested in. Michael Penix is probably at the top of that list at Washington. Bo Nix, I think is really like, he's shown me more and more as the years go along. I'm still not sold on him yet. Caleb Williams is an extraordinary athlete. There's a couple other guys to keep an eye on. Riley Leonard at Duke is very good. He is really good. He needs to work on his pocket accuracy, which is a big deal in the NFL. So not saying it's not, but keep yeah. an eye on him. He is a he is a big time athlete, can run, big frame. Kind of reminds me of a guy from Kentucky that got drafted in the second round last year. Um, there's another guy, Quinn Ewers at Texas. He's a guy that could creep into the first round as well. There, there could be, and I know this always gets said, and I hate doing it. But there are like five or six guys that could be fringe first round grades. And I, I think we could have four guys taken in the first round. It's not that unusual. It, it happens in the past. So I think the, the quarterback play around the country in college football is way better than I expected. And I think that's a good thing for the Titans if they learn that Will Levis isn't the guy. Like, And, and to be honest, like I think everybody, unless Will Levis goes out and throws like zero touchdowns to 20 interceptions, I don't know if there's a scenario where they're going to walk away definitively saying they're not the, he's not the guy, but that doesn't preclude them from cutting bait with Malik Willis and drafting a guy a la kind of like RG3 and Kirk Cousins maybe in the fourth or fifth round next year. Bingo. Like there there's different scenarios where they still get a quarterback just not as high. And and really the smartest move it's kind of tough for me to say this, but because I kind of don't believe it in my heart, but I think I believe oh. it logically. Wait, is to probably bi- is to probably build around Will Levis for the next three years because even if you draft Caleb Williams, let's say that Caleb Williams falls the ninth. If you're drafting ninth, even if you draft Caleb Williams, he's still coming into a bad situation. Yeah, and we've seen what he's been able to do against NFL style defenses so far this year. Two bad games, back to back. You could blame Ryan Watson at Ryan on Broadway because those are the only two Caleb Williams games he's watched. So it's totally one hundred percent his fault. Uh, but I don't know. Like I, I still think Caleb Williams is talented, but is he talented enough to overcome? Yeah, yeah. Is it like Justin Fields talented, or is it what everybody was? saying and now everybody's jumped ship because at one time everybody's saying 
he is Patrick Mahomes talented. Now everybody after two bad games has jumped ship. So I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I just feel like right now it's hard. I, I have more questions than answers, and I want more answers than questions by the end of the year. And one of those, I'm going to feel I'll have a better grasp of what is the best way for them to go forward once I see some Will Levis. Uh, here, here's a, a prediction that may like I'll look like a freaking genius if this hits because I think you're right to point out the Kirk Cousins situation and like Stoney in the comments mentioned Sam Hartman at Notre Dame I would mention Tyler Van Dyke at Miami Shadur Sanders at Colorado JJ McCarthy at Michigan all these guys mm-hmm. could be drafted JJ McCarthy made some impressive throws I mean he, like he, unbelievable throws but he is but a lot of those guys are not even anywhere close to a first rounder. So what what I'm what I'm curious is which one is like available at the top of the third round, like not not me. I think Kirk Cousins, wasn't Kirk Cousins a fourth round pick. I want to say like first pick of the round fourth pick. round, fifth round. So like it's not going to be that late that you find a guy like that. But I do think in this draft coming up there could be like 12, 13 quarterbacks taken. Michael Pratt at Tulane's another one, four or five maybe in the first round, maybe a couple in the second round. But you could get like this if Riley Leonard, for example, and I'm not I'm not campaigning for him, but I'm just using him as an example. If he is available at the top of the third round, that is a guy that could absolutely play 10 years in the NFL. If, if he gets the right coaching, he has the skills to play in the NFL. It doesn't mean he's got the processing or the, you know, or the accuracy or whatever, but like that's the thing you're trying to find in the third round. And I think this class has that. And I do think that's a better strategy if you still have Will Levis and you're not going to fully know all the answers at the end of the year and you're picking ninth. You probably want a left tackle or a pass rusher, right? And then you come back in the second round. Maybe you get a, a corner and a receiver. And maybe in the third round, that's when you go, oh, look who's available. You know, Riley Leonard or yeah. whatever. And so I think that. But you, you need more picks, though. If you're going to go that yeah, round, I you need to start selling some <laughs> veterans. DeAndre Hopkins is available. Fulton, <laughs> Christian Fulton is available. These guys are available. Trade them. Trade them. That's where I'm at. Uh, so anyway, I, I thought this was, you know, I think number one, enjoy the quarterback play around the country in college football. Um, I would say just in, anticipate and enjoy what the next wave of offensive creativity is going to look like. Because I think defenses have have kind of started to settle in a little bit with these new quarterbacks. And I, I am, I'm telling you, watch the backfield in Seattle and the backfield in Miami and how they're doing things. And I don't think Tim Kelly's like all that far off. Like, I don't think he's that far off. I don't think he's like some offensive genius yet, but he's doing creative stuff in the backfield too. Stuff that we haven't seen the Titans do. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to watch big picture trends and see where the game's going. And that I thought, let's spend some time on that today before we get into Bama and Tennessee down in Tuscaloosa. Uh, So there you go. Stinkers beverages, Kingston group. Of course, we do appreciate it. Uh, their support. Go to Sinkers. Check out that brand new uh, Russell Reserve. Tell them 440 Sports sent you, and they'll give you. They'll sell you a bottle. Uh, accesses. There's no, they, they very limited supply. Uh, it is a very nice b- bottle of bourbon. It's a great gift for anybody for the holidays. So if you want to go ahead and get one now, go ahead and get it now while supplies last. Uh, it is a delicious bottle of whiskey. You're gonna love it. So go check it out. And of course, sign up for the In Crowd, Nashville's number one liquor store in 2022, as voted on by the readers of the Nashville scene. Kingston Group. Build KG. Dot com. You guys know the drill with them. They're Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. Um, I'm just going to start. I don't I don't love predictions. I think they're kind of silly. But 24-13, Alabama wins. One X play by Jalen Milrow. Total rock fight. 
Tennessee tries to run the football, actually does it pretty well. Jalen Milrose under pressure most of the game because Tennessee's defensive line is pretty good. It feels a lot like the Ole Miss game, but Tennessee's a little bit better at running the football, and Joe Milton can't make an X play. Did I just ruin the whole game for everybody, or is that too obvious? Well, I, I I think that it's probably true, but I also think that the that Alabama's formula is starting to click, and um, it, it's not perfect. It's not the days of Derrick Henry and T.J. Yeldon and all those guys that were just going off, but it's getting there. Um, they got to figure out a good divide between having Jalen Milrow run it and having the running backs run it. Which running backs? It's kind of like almost Tennessee Titans. Like, which running back are you going to actually give the ball to this week? Um, but I, I think it's, I think they're, I think Alabama's going to get into the 30s. And mm. as far as points, and I don't think that, I think that, I think it'll be 30s, 30 something points to 20 something points. Like that's kind of how I feel, whether that's 30 and 20 or, you know, 32 and 21 or whatever you want to call it. I just kind of feel like that that's where it's going to be at. I think yeah. it's going to be almost a 10 point swing for whatever team wins. And I think it's going to be Alabama because Joe Milton is just terrible. And if you put Nico, who is, you know, 90 pounds no. out there against no. Alabama for, for whatever crazy reason that, cause I've heard people, you know, like what point do you go to Nico? This should not be the game. You go to Nico, too, no, by no, the way, no, no. Vander, uh, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt. He, he will get, he will get split in half. Like he will yeah. just like, there'll be two, two, uh, his torso up there and his, um, uh, <laughs> his legs are going to be over on the sideline. Like it's going to be, it's going to be dead. And I just think that, Hopefully, I know there's like 10 UT fans that I know that have realistic expectations for the season. But I also know that means that there's uh, over 100,000 that have not had realistic expectations over the season. And yeah. they, they, at this point, I don't know of any Tennessee fan that really thinks they're going to go in to Tuscaloosa and win yeah. this game. What, what's fascinating is very a lot of times really great coaches can take a game that looks a certain way on paper and they can do the thing that you're not expecting. Right. And I'll go, I'll, I'll Alabama LSU 2011 when they played in the national championship game, the second time after the famous nine, six game, I, I actually, and I've got, I've got receipts on this. I predicted a sophomore starting quarterback, AJ McCarron would be the MVP because I said that what they learned about that loss in Tuscaloosa nine to six was that they were going to throw the football early on downs back when college football was still a slow game. And they were going to throw it early and attack LSU's defense, in particular, Tyron Matthew. And he won the MVP of that game because they threw the ball early because they did the exact opposite of what LSU was expecting. And Les Miles is a terrible coach. So they 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 fixed it and they did it in that championship game. So that could happen here. And I don't know if that's Jalen Milrow is far more likely to be that player than Joe Milton is. But if it's on paper and the game is just the way it looks on paper, Alabama cannot protect the quarterback, but the quarterback hits on X plays all season long. Two or three big plays every single game. Joe Milton, they can run the football, but he can't connect on those plays. Both have very good defensive lines. Both are going to stop the run and pressure the quarterback. It, on paper, it just I, I can't figure out a way how the game plays out differently than how it looks on paper. Because Joe, Joe Milton does not have the ability to make those throws. Now, unless they start hitting those like intermediate routes... Maybe if Jalen Milrow can hit the intermediate routes, which they did against Texas A&M, maybe it changes. 
But I just don't like it's one of those games where I go, this is what it looks like on paper. I don't see how it's not yeah. going to, I don't see how it's Alabama all of a sudden is going to just like the Alabama offensive line is just not all of a sudden going to figure out how to block people against the best defensive line they probably will have played other than AM all season. Like they're, they're not going to just figure it out. Like they can't block anybody else. So Tennessee's defensive line is going to eat. Yeah. But you know what? No one stopped Tennessee's running game either. And, t- and Joe Milton hasn't been able to cl- complete passes down the field. And Jaden Mil- Jalen Milrow does every game. I just don't know why any of that's going to change this week. So I, yeah, I can see it being 30-20. They got to give – if the Tennessee wants to win, they have to get Jalen um, Jalen Wright involved. A heavy dose of Jalen Wright is how you win this game if you're Tennessee. It's not a heavy dose of Joe Milton. It is – Jalen Wright, Jalen Wright, Jalen Wright punt if you don't get the first down. Well, like, and that, Dylan, that is what you should be doing. Dylan Sampson is really good, number six in the backfield, and and Jabari Smalls really they have three running backs that are very good. But I agree with you on right. Here's the here's the wrinkle that could could be different. A lot of power designed football running with Joe Milton. That that could be a yeah. they did a little bit more of that against AM last week. If you wanna if you can get on the edges with the running backs. And then go power football a la Cam Newton-ish, right? Like just like you're okay with four yards, right? From your quarterback, and you're you're willing to run him, you know, like 12, 15 times. That could be a, a wrinkle that Josh Heupel could evolve into. But I think they have to have something special to win the game. Otherwise, I think it's like I said, I think it's 24-14. Alabama wins, very similar to Ole Miss. Um, Tennessee's ha- Tennessee has to play perfect game to win the game. Yeah. No pe- no penalties, run the football pressure the quarterback you can't give up big plays which i don't think their secondary is qualified to do i think bama wins uh i think tennessee's right on track to be the eight and four nine and three team i thought they were because the quarterback doesn't make a difference so i will say this alabama is, is allowing three three yards per carry on the ground that's pretty good and yeah, no they're so very it'll good be interesting, it'll be interesting to see what Tennessee is able to do in the rush attack. Cause if they, if they have to rely on Joe Milton, cause they're not getting anything in the running game, which may be what Nick Saban wants to do. Like, don't you want, if you're Alabama, don't you want with no brew McCoy to just sell out to stop the run and let make Joe Milton make mistakes. That's what I would do. I, yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, I will say Texas A&M was the number one rushing defense in the conference last week and Tennessee ran all over them. So I do think they're going to have think more. There's something stinky in Texas A&M. I, I think you're right, but I think they will have a. They will be more successful running the football against Alabama than probably anybody else against Alabama. I, I would say that's probably right. But to your point, I think you're right. Nick Saban will have a plan for that, and it will involve forcing the football down the field. The question is, can you actually complete the pass? That's the question. And and the biggest question to me is, will the penalty stop for Alabama? Like or Tennessee. Will, yeah, or Tennessee, but I don't really care about Tennessee. I want a penalty to stop for Alabama. And that that's to me is like a big question I've had all year long is like, when will these penalties fucking stop? Well, Tennessee had, I think, like insane. Tennessee had over 110 yards, I think, of penalties last week. They're equally as undisciplined. It's bad. So, yeah. again, on paper, I think it's a very obvious game. So, I'm curious which coach brings a different strategy to change up what looks like on paper is a very I would say like a traditional Alabama win where they kind of get up to a small league and kind of just sit on you in the second half, give you the stiff arm and you kind of fight back and you're in the game, but like you're not really in the game, you know? Um, so I, I, th- I hope it's a, a really fun rock fight and I, I'm excited about it. 
Um, so let's take a look. Sinkers Beverages, Kingston Group, our great sponsors. Check them out. Uh, some some stuff around the. I, I'm gonna. Some of the things that I would throw out. Number one, the Brock Bowers injury sucks because he would have been my 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 Heisman vote currently. So if you're asking me who's the player of the year in the conference midterm, Brock Bowers, I think is the most important player. Um, yes, I, I'm going Malik Neighbors. Like I, okay, I, all right. I don't think if if Malik Neighbors didn't exist, I don't know if Jaden Daniels would be as good. You know that the other guys caught like 600 yards and eight touchdowns too, right? Brian Thomas. Yeah, but I mean, it, they they feed off each other. I think Malik, Na- Malik Neighbors is the guy that to me is just he's first round talent. He's just always fucking open. Like yes. he is yes, always he is. open. And to me, I I think if. I think Brock Bowers has been good. There's been games where he's taken over, but as a whole, I've been just been underwhelmed by Georgia and I've been more impressed by LSU anyway, uh, as far as offensively. And I think Malik neighbors is just, he's just the truth right now. Like, I think he is that guy in the the SEC. No, he, he, there's no question. Like what's fine. What's funny is this, I started going through the list of receivers in this conference, Luther burden. I was about to say that Luther burden, who is Stefan Diggs. Uh, Luther Burden is great. Xavier Leggett for South Carolina is going to be a pro player. Um, there are some dudes. Uh, Ricky Pearsall at Florida is going to be a star. Uh, that dude is the I, real every deal fucking as well. week. He, he just pops off the screen every week. There are really good receivers in this conference. Unfortunately, they don't. None know of them are on Alabama's team. None of them are at Alabama or Tennessee. <laughs> um, and so I think, I mean, listen, Will Shepard at Vanderbilt's really good. So I got. I'm not even yeah. going to discount discount that. Um, but what's interesting is. Coach of the year, though, it's not even close. It's Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri, in yes, my opinion. I agree. It, it, it's not even close. He is the head coach of the year right now. They yep. host Tennessee. They host Florida. They got to play. They're going to lose to Georgia, probably. But if they beat South Carolina this week, which should be a win for them, it's only a seven-point game, but they should be a win. They get Florida, Tennessee at home. Ten wins is not out of the question for Missouri. No, he's done a tremendous job, which is which is great because he talks so much weird conversations oh, over the offseason, and he's, he's just such a weird dude. But, like, those games are fun to watch. Offensively and defensively, Missouri versus LSU was a crazy game to watch, and it ended so terribly poor. Like, I couldn't believe how it ended with yeah. just mistake after mistake after mistake. But they were in that game. Like... I think Missouri for three and 0.75 quarters were the, was the better team. Yep. And it's, it's offense, defense, it's Luther burden. It's Brady cook. I mean, it's all this stuff that like is coming together at the right time. And who would have thought like, who would have thought Missouri, like you said, could have 10 wins. Well, I, I didn't you pick said a, 10 wins. No, I like, did not. I did not pick him to go 10 wins, but I was very high on Missouri in the summertime. I think yeah. I had him fourth. I think I had him fourth ahead of South Carolina and Florida in my media ballot, which they were picked six. So I was, I was definitely higher on Missouri than most people. I think the things that I've changed my opinion on, and, and we're, we're talking sort of like midterm exams here. Uh, certainly Billy Napier, his stock has risen at Florida. Graham Mertz mm-hmm. is playing the best football of, of his life. And it, what's interesting is to your point about Missouri. And I do think Josh Heupel is doing some of this at Tennessee. I'm not sure if it's happening with Tommy Reese at Alabama, which is the interesting question. Eli Drinkowitz, for all of his weirdness that I agree with you on, he realized the situation and he took a step back. He hired Kirby Moore way earlier than Jimbo Fisher hired Bobby Petrino. He put a play caller in place to develop his quarterback. Brady Cook was clearly hurt last year more than people thought. 
They developed some of the young five stars, and now the offense is off and running. Billy Napier, it's taken a little bit of time, but he goes and gets, he's got a quarterback that in Graham Mertz never played in a system like this. They're running the same old, really complicated pre-snap motions and movement stuff that Anthony Richardson was running, and he's doing even a better job because he's more accurate than Richardson, right? He's not an NFL player, but like he's executing the offense in a really fun way. Now they're winning on the road for the first time, which is important for Florida. So clearly some growth for Billy Napier. I think for Tennessee, I'm seeing Josh Heupel evolve as an offense. I'm going to learn more this weekend. But but again, watching him do something different, I think is important if you're going to watch them try to win. Because what we, I, I hope what somebody anywhere has learned by now is that for six years, I've been trying to tell you that Joe Milton ain't the guy. And I think it's official now that we we can finally put that argument to, to bed that they have to win a different way. And if and if you can prove that you can win a different way, I think that adds to your coaching stock if yeah. you're Josh Heupel. Uh, Kentucky, Devin Leary, we learned. I, I was very high on Devin Leary this summer. He ain't the guy. He, he is the, the offensive scheme. He, you know what it reminds me of watching Kentucky? The Titans. Yeah. Like like, like the, the scheme is sound. The players are open. The running game works. And the quarterback can't get the ball to the right place. Like that's what I'm seeing out of Kentucky. So I will change. I will absolutely change my opinion on Devin Leary. Where are you on Tommy Reese? Oh man, I don't know if he adjusted or if Nick Saban forced him to adjust. So like that's kind of where I'm at here. I, I don't. I'm not a big Tommy Reese guy. I I kind of wish Bill O'Brien was still around, which I was not a Bill O'Brien guy yeah, at the end of yeah. his tenure. I I don't. I think Tommy Reese may be able to get something next year it's just such a young offensive team i feel like with not a lot of experience like there's not a lot of playing experience i feel like among these teams and there's no game breaking wide receiver even though they have good wide receivers that show up here and there but there's no there's no julio jones there's no calvin ridley there's no james williams list goes on and on and on Jalen waddle yeah all these amari Amari cooper nobody is there um so basically every point, receiver in the NFL, every receiver on your NFL fantasy team is all, they're all from Alabama. Yeah. At this point, I just don't know what, what more can he do other than to just be smart about it. And yeah. I feel like that's where the first half of the year kind of got away from him. I think he was trying to be old Alabama and well, new Alabama, but with old Alabama players. And, and but and, I think since then he's come around. I mean, and what did we say in the summertime? Guy, we yeah. said you have to play like 2017 Jalen Hurts football. You have to. Yeah, and and it's just there's no there's no way around it. So hopefully, hopefully that is what is happening going forward. And it's a winning formula that can win. Oh, that yeah. style of play can win in the um in the NCAA and college football playoffs if they get there. That that formula can beat Georgia because you're keeping Georgia Ooh. off. The field. I don't see that's so it's interesting you say that. I think that is the right thing to say. That formula works against like 99% of the teams. The question is, can you win in a shootout against LSU at home, which I think you can, but that's the first game you have to circle. On the road against Auburn is just a weird one because it's Auburn. I'm not worried about Kentucky. I'm not as worried about Tennessee, but against Georgia, I think you have to do more than that. And in a playoff game, I think you have to do more than that. But that would actually put Alabama right where we expected them to be. Which yeah. is like eleven, which is like eleven and two, and not good enough to win a national championship, but still a pretty damn good football team. So, yeah. uh, I, I'm you know, it, I'm trying to think of other things. Like, look at look at Vanderbilt, Auburn, 
Mississippi State, and Arkansas combined 0 for 14 in the SEC, which is nuts. Arkansas has uh, been a disappointment for me. I was a little wrong on yep. Arkansas, or a lot of wrong, I guess you could say. If you add South Carolina in there, they have a combined one win in conference. The bottom five teams have one win. So the bottom of the conference, I think maybe not as good as we expected. I, I think there's some coaches in there that, you know, Shane Beamer's built up some equity. He's not on the hot seat. Hugh Freeze, year number one, not on the hot seat. Zach Arnett, Mississippi State, year one after a tragic situation, not on the hot seat. Sam Pittman at Arkansas is interesting, though, to keep an eye on him. Um, that's two bad, quote-unquote, disappointing years in a row. That's hard to do in the SEC, even if you're very, very beloved. Which brings you, us. You mentioned KJ Jefferson, by the way, as quarterbacks you could draft in the fifth or sixth round. I, absolutely, he's a guy who's going to go late and has a lot of ability. Um, I, not to your point, not first two, three rounds, but yeah. Which brings us ultimately to Jimbo Fisher, and I don't want my gas prices to go up, Zach. But if some Texas oil money comes together and decides that $76 million is not too much to fire a coach. I, I can't believe I'm saying this because the record's like $24 million for a buyout, which of course was Auburn. Um, he is due $68 million if they fire him at the end of next season. Next season. You know what his buyout is in two years? If they wait two more full football seasons after this one, his buyout is still $58 million. What's the difference for some Texas oil barons? That's like Bobby Bonilla, Bonilla or yeah. Bonilla, whatever his name is. That you know, what that day they celebrate his contract where he's still. Yeah, I don't paid. want to talk about it. Yeah, I don't want to talk oh, about it. As a Mets fan, you're, as a Mets fan oh, I don't want to talk you. about it. It's very embarrassing. Uh, it's just it's kind of what it feels like. It's like one of the worst contracts in sports history is going to be Jimbo Fisher, and he has not a lot to show for it. I I mean, look. They are. This is what I don't like about media, and this is why we do something different on our show. Texas A&M doesn't suck. They don't suck. Like, oh, that team sucks. They lost the game. They suck. Like, that's not that's that's what you do on afternoon radio show from two to two to six every day. Um, they are they are a good football team. They're okay. They're eight. They're eight and four. Let's say not a particularly well coached team. Not a great team. But in the context of the contract and how much money you're spending. Yep. They spent they spent 700 million to renovate the facilities over the last 5 years, 100 million dollar guaranteed contract. You you are not spending money on 8 and 4. It's just not like it's not what you're doing. It's not the point. And so I don't know who's better unless you're hiring Nick Saban, Kirby Smart or Urban Meyer. I don't know who you can go get that's better. So that's the huge risk. But to your point about the Titans, what do you want? You want answers, right? Right. I think we have our answer on Jimbo Fisher. He is not good enough to win championships in the SEC. That's it. So no, Texas, no, he, Texas. he's and it makes me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me their their demise just makes me so happy that they they struggle to put together wins and struggle to stay consistent. Is is just my favorite thing because you know those little guys in the overalls that you know clinging and clanging and yelling and the yell the yell squad or whatever they are. It's so fun to watch those videos and then just know that a loss is coming. Like a loss is about the, to be handed to you. The, the being at Neyland last weekend, like watching the mail because I was we were on the Texas A&M side, and uh, like watching the the like the male cheerleaders do their little weird dances. And again, like I'm all for uh, I'm as progressive <laughs> as it gets on on pronouns and gender roles, and I don't give a shit about any of that stuff. Like if you want to complain about it, go somewhere else. But like it was pretty funny to watch. <laughs> Yeah, 
They're sitting down there doing that. Wearing their little white suits, doing all this stuff. Like, and all they complaining about Jimbo Fisher and all the money that they spend, and they're still not turning in into wins and all this kind of stuff. To me, he's he's likely on the hot seat. I mean, he won't have problems finding a job. So yeah. I would assume that maybe that offsets some of the contract. I think, but I mean, shouldn't it? That's how it works in the NFL. So I don't know. No, if if a coach... particular contract is laid out. Yes, if a coach goes and gets high, like you have to live the buyout life. Like I, I worked with Houston Nut for a long time, and he was always telling me, like we used to go on trips together, and he'd be like, he'd be like, Braden, let me tell you, dude, I ain't even trying to get a job. There's no way I'm trying to get a job. I'm, I get paid, I get paid like two, two million dollars a year to do nothing. It's great, and he doesn't, he never even wanted to work. But don't now, you, but don't you have to have like show considerable amount of effort and trying to get a job too because i think that uh someone recently almost got their money taken back or got sued because they didn't do a, have a reasonable effort of finding a job and the team thought that they should who was oh, there there so what's happening now is there's a lot of gray area on these yeah. contracts that are now being fought on both sides so like this happened with kansas actually a couple of years ago where they actually tried to find cause to fire a guy for just sucking and they, cause they wanted to get out of some of the buyout and they're like, Oh, he didn't recruit this and he didn't do this. And like, so they got the lawyers involved. It's kind of like a divorce. Like you could have two people that like want to kind of have a divorce and they sort of see that the right thing to do is to sort of have the amicable divorce. But then when you get the lawyers involved, it gets real nasty and dirty. You know, like, I think that's what happens with some of these coaches. Like, yes, the coach would accept 75% of the buyout and he'll probably go try to get a job. And the team is going, okay, we're willing to pay that. Then now we have lawyers involved on both sides that are going, no, you're paying every penny. And this guy's saying, no, you're paying zero because you broke this NCAA rule. Like it's just gotten real lawyery in the last couple of years. And so that's where I could see, like this is what happened with Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt, right? Like they got into a big legal debate about what was cause and what was not cause. And so I think they're probably going to try to find a negotiation with Jimbo Fisher if they do decide to move on. Speaking of Riley Leonard and Duke, Mike Elko, former defensive coordinator at Texas A&M, a hot, hot, hot name in the coaching ranks right now. If they want him, they probably have to move this year. And there's still questions on if that guy can recruit like at the same level. So like, there's no guarantee for you to – you could spend $70 million to pay a guy not to win, and you could go hire somebody worse. Like It's just – Yeah, it's crazy. That's where we're at. That's where we're at with Texas A&M. Uh, all right. Uh, we will be back on Monday, of course, to talk all things Titans, getting ready for Atlanta, and, of course, recapping all the things from the SEC weekend. Enjoy uh, your weekend. Sinkers Beverages, the Kingston Group, Stacking the Inbox, F-Words Pod, 440 Sports Network. Uh, Josh Mancuso, by the way, uh, who's the, 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 the comedy guy that does all the, the cool stuff on Twitter about SEC teams, he's going to be on Lamestream Sports on Friday. Had a long conversation with him. Very funny dude, so you might want to check that out as well. So, we got Preds Pods. We got Nashville SC. Got the whole deal. Uh, so check out all the good stuff. And we do appreciate it. Support local business, support local journalism, support local companies and writers and reporters like Zach Lyons. So there you go. There you go. Uh, the there you go. Uh, a couple bucks. It's worth it. Absolutely. And you know what happens when you pay a couple of bucks? Again, like a cup of coffee a month for good stuff. You get better quality content. That's it. Because yep. the free shit is not as good. Although ours is. I mean, who am I, who yeah. am I kidding? Ours is good. Uh, thank you guys for listening and hanging out. Rate, review, subscribe. Give us a sub on the, the YouTube page and uh, give us five stars on uh, the, the podcast app because if you do not, you are a hater. For Zach, I am Braden. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Yeah.